Well, thank you. It's a privilege to be here. I've gotten a new pattern over the last year or so, um, taking class together with um, there in Orlando, and he's a wonderful man. I enjoy his fellowship, and um, I see that he's really been ministering and um, implanting, as we'll see, the Word of God in your hearts, the, the joy that I've had fellowshipping with some of the members here. Uh, I've really enjoyed, even though I'm away from the warm weather. <laughs> I asked for 75-degree weather. I was not given that. <laughs> but uh, I actually, as you'll hear in a moment, I grew up in South Jersey, so I am used to the cold weather, but South Florida this time of year has some great benefits. Uh, one of those is a lot of people that are musicians and and um, singers and different come to South Florida in the winter, and we sung as our hymn of the month um, that "In Christ Alone" hymn that you sang, and we had the opportunity to have the the he's a Christian uh, Billy Joel's um, uh, guitarist play for us a few Sundays ago. So that I didn't know that until after the fact. He he left. He unfortunately didn't realize, and he was sitting behind me. He didn't know he was supposed to get down, and the whole time. 45 minutes later, he's just sitting there behind me while I was preaching, but, but it, it, it was a, a joy to have him, and so thank you for the worship this morning. Well, what we're going to do is look at James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 19 to 25. I will refer to verse 18, but we will focus on verses 19 to 25. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Let me read to you God's holy and inerrant word. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Father, we thank you for your word, for this revelation, for the gospel for the ministry of your Holy Spirit as he applies the word to our hearts. That is what we call upon you now for, that you would send your Holy Spirit, illumine our minds, speak through me, your servant. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, there are great benefits in living in South Florida, but I actually grew up in South Jersey. Now, you may not know this, um, and if you went there now, you wouldn't think it at all, but South Jersey is known as the Garden State. And growing up, back in the day when I was a child, the little town I lived in, it's an Italian Catholic neighborhood, uh, about 5,000 people in the town, and they're, you know, we're right outside of Philadelphia, but the whole town was farmland. In fact, my uncle owned a very large farm. In addition to these farms, though, we all had gardens. And my grandmother had a particularly large garden, and she didn't live too far from me, and so often I would go over there and help her as, as we sought to, to grow these tomatoes, that's what we're famous for, Jersey tomatoes, uh, asparagus, eggplant, all these different things, and I would go and I would help her with her, her garden. Now, if you've ever worked in a garden or been involved in farming, you know it, it, it takes a lot of work. It doesn't just happen. You have to work hard to see the produce grow and then be used in a good, well, in our case, Italian dinner. 
And so we, we had to work hard. And my grandma reminded me of that. We had to cultivate the land. We had to make sure the soil was right so that when we were planting the seeds, the seed would grow. We also had to spend time dealing with the weeds. You know how that works. You, you plant the seed, the, the plant begins to grow, but then weeds would grow around the plant. So we had to constantly be plucking the weeds, and we had to be diligent of this. You couldn't just take away one weed and say, all right, we're good until the plant grows. You had to constantly go back and pull the weeds. Otherwise, it would tr- choke out the nutrients, and the plant would die. And so we did that regularly. And I'm sure there were a lot of other things that you have to do when you are working in a garden, like water the plants and fertilize and all those things. Well, when we did that, when we were diligent, when we persevered like this, uh, well, what would happen is later in the season, we'd be able to pick our produce and then my grandma would cook us a great meal. I really enjoyed it. See, that's when you enjoy the fruit of your labors, as the saying goes. You know, you did all that hard work and now you can sit around the table and enjoy a meal. And so as a young boy, I often enjoyed doing that with my grandparents. Well, I share that story not to be nostalgic, not because I saw some farmland here or, or, you know, just to take a walk down memory lane. I share it because that's actually the picture that James paints for us here in our passage this morning. Now, beginning in verse 18, look there. James tells us this, that the word of God is the seed in the womb issuing forth birth. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And now, in verses 19 to 25, he speaks of the word of God as a seed planted in the soil of your heart, springing forth the salvation of your soul. See, God has tilled the ground of your heart. He has done that work for you. He's replaced your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And so that the seed of the word now takes, takes root inside of you. That's the image that is being shared here. But it doesn't stop there. We see that. If you want to grow in your spiritual life, and I hope you do. That's why I'm sure you're here. If you want to grow in your spiritual life, you must be diligent. See, if you don't want your spiritual life to be stunted, the seed of the word must be properly cared for. That's what James is telling us. You must remove all those worldly weeds that would choke out the new life that you now have in Jesus Christ. And you must continue to cultivate the word that is planted in you so you will grow. That is what James is presenting to us here this morning. That is what he's teaching us. We can't sit back. We should not suppose that that new life in us will just grow on its own. We must persevere and we must persevere in the word of God. Now, even a quick glance at the passage, if you have your Bibles open, look there. You'll notice that the word of God is, is, is central to this whole passage. In verse 18, it's the word of truth. In verse 21, he speaks of the implanted word. And then verse 22 and 23, he just says, the word. And then in verse 25, he refers to the word as the perfect law, the law of liberty. And so growth And the Christian life, the growth of true spiritual life comes through the word of God. That is where we find our our ability to grow. See, the word of God, I hope you understand this, the word of God preached and taught and studied works with the word of God that is implanted in your soul, in your new heart, in your new nature, and brings forth growth. That is what verse 18 teaches. God brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, he sovereignly regenerated us. 
You know, if you ever studied James, you may have heard the arguments. James seems to be a, a, a book about law, and it is. There's a lot of commands in James. I mean, he's constantly in your face telling you what you need to do. And they say, well, you know, it's not really about grace. You know, it's a works book, not a, not a grace book. But that's not the case. It is a works book, but it's based in grace. See, James begins there in verse 18 talking about how God implants the word and regenerates your heart. And it's only out of that word that is implanted in your heart through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit working in you, giving you a new life, that you are able to keep the commands that James teaches us. See, we don't cooperate in that sense With salvation, God does that regenerating work. He awakens us so that we can believe. But now that we have believed, now that we've been regenerated, God's word is working in us. It's implanted in our hearts. And now that we have been born again, we've been united to Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God. We are able, through a lifelong process, right, of hearing the word of God and receiving the Word of God, and doing the Word of God, we're able to grow. Grow in what is called sanctification, which means just growth in holiness. And so James, in his letter here, moves from birth to growth. That's a natural process. We've been born anew, and now we must grow. And so we were born to grow. And the role that the Word of God plays in that growth Young children in here, all the way up to adults, it's the same for all of us. The Word of God is central. And it can't be overestimated how important the Word of God is if you're going to grow in holiness. Well, there are three things here that we're going to look at this morning. Three things, I just mentioned them, that we're going to focus on as our three points. Every sermon has three points, it seems. Um, But here's the three points this week. You must hear the Word. There's nothing... Overly profound that I'm about to say. I didn't think, well, gee, I'm going to Nebraska. Let me say something that Pat would never say. Let me, let, me, let me really mix it up a little. I'm not doing that at all. It's the same message that we need to hear over and over again. We need to hear the word. We need to receive the word. And we need to do the word. Hear, receive, and do. That's how sanctification, that is how we grow in the faith. It's that simple. By hearing, receiving, and doing the word of God. Well, let's look at the first one. Hear the word. Look at verse 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That is our goal, the righteousness of God in our lives. Well, anger doesn't produce it. Now, James here is speaking of being quick to hear the word. Okay? Quick to hear the word. Quick to hear the word, slow to speak in regards to the word, and slow to anger in regards to the word. Now, see, we think of those things, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We think of it in relational terms. You know, we, we, you know of course, it's true that it is relational in that sense. We should be quick to hear what others are saying, slow to speak, make sure we're listening, and not get angry with others. And that's true. We should do that. But here, the focus is on these three things in relationship, in reference to the Word of God. And so that's the, that's the context. And all three phrases are given in the present tense. And so the idea is this, that of continual action. 
Let every person continue to be quick to hear, to continue to be slow to speak, to continue and to be slow to anger. Now, Sinclair Ferguson, maybe you've heard of him. He was one of our professors at at the school that Pat and I are going to. Um, He says that there's a dance going on here. And there's three moves, three dance moves. It's quick, slow, slow, quick, slow, slow. We need to be quick to hear. And what's the idea there? Well, the idea is that you're to be attentive to the word of God, attentive to it. It's an eagerness to listen to the word, not just fill your devotional quota. You know, you, you, you say, oh, I could check that off today. I read my five verses. Uh, that's not the point. You want to be attentive to it. You want to listen to the word. You come to the word with an excitement to hear what it has to say to you. That's the idea. You come to worship with an eager expectation that God is going to speak to you. He's not just speaking generally. You're here in the presence of God, as it were, and, and he's going to speak to you. That's the kind of expectation you come with. You know, we pay to go to conferences to hear people like R.C. Sproul and others. And we're excited about that, right? Because, you know, you're paying your money. You Obviously, you want to hear what he has to say. He's a, he's a great man of God. He's, he's very wise. And so we pay that money to hear him. Well, what the Scripture teaches is that every Sunday as you gather, not that he doesn't do it throughout the week, but especially on Sunday as we gather as one body, God is speaking through His preacher, the Word of God. He is speaking to us. And so we must come quick to hear. Well, to do this well, you say, all right, well, you know, I'm here, right? You know, I came. Um, How do I do it? Well, you have to be slow to speak. So you cannot listen carefully while you're talking. Or even while, while you're thinking about what you would say next. Right? We know about this in our relationships. We see this all the time. You know, you, you, you're sharing your heart with someone, right? And, and you go to this person and say, I just had a terrible week. And, you know, I, I was just struggling. And, and they're already talking to you. They have the answer before you've given them the question. Or, or they're thinking how they're going to respond before you even share what you're talking about. They're not really listening to you. And they haven't heard a word you say. And so, so, so we, that, that, that's the point James is getting at here in our passage. See, this can happen when it comes to hearing the word of God. And this is a particularly troublesome when it comes to preachers. Right? We, we preachers preach. And so when we're out in the congregation with the rest of the body and we hear somebody up here preaching, some of us can have the tendency to say, well, you know, I wouldn't have said it that way. You know, I, I would have used three B's. I can't believe he has four points. You know, you're not listening to anything as if you're above the word. And we're not. We come under the word of God. And so it's particularly difficult for preachers, but it's difficult for all of us. We live in an entertainment age. We sometimes have a a tendency to view church as an American Idol audition. Right? You're all the the judges. I'm the contestant. And so you're going to score me. This is my way of making sure you don't do this. Well, what's his facial expressions like? Does he enunciate his words? I have a tendency that my wife says I can make five words into one. You know, well, you take points off for that. And did he make me laugh? Um, And if he has a Scottish accent, well, you get extra points for that one. I mean, all these things come together. And then they rate you on a scale of one to ten. 
And, and that's, what, that's what preaching becomes. What are you going to do for me? And see, many churches, we have this in our area, I'm sure you have it here, many churches have succumbed to this. And so the preacher enters the pulpit as an entertainer. I have a local church near us where the guy repelled in on a, on a string. Like, what is he doing? You know, he's throwing popcorn and, and all this stuff, and, and, and he comes to entertain. And so the mindset is you're the audience being entertained. But that is not the way it's supposed to be. That is not what the Scripture teaches. See, the truth of the matter is this. When the preacher stands behind the pulpit to bring to you God's Word, he is serving as God's mouthpiece. Now, I am not God. I do not claim to be God. I don't even claim to be any extra special than you because I am preaching. But God uses the men of God in order to preach the Word of God. Peter said it this way, speaking as one who speaks the oracles of God. Ambassadors, as it were. God, Christ, speaking through us. See, this isn't playtime. It isn't nap time. This is the time when God Almighty personally addresses His people. That is what's happening even now. Christ promises, as it were, to come down from heaven and speak. Not because there's anything special in the man, but because God wants to deliver his word through his mouthpiece. One writer put it this way. This was a quote when I was in Bible college that made me consider and and also fear, but consider preaching the word. And this guy puts the preacher in his rightful place. This is what he says. His throne is the pulpit. He stands in Christ's stead. His message is not his own. It's the word of God. Around him are immortal souls. The Savior, unseen, is beside Him. The Holy Spirit broods over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene, and heaven and hell await the issue. And then he goes on to say, what associations, what responsibility? This is no small matter. I'll be judged for every word I share, because as I share them, I'm claiming, thus saith the Lord. These are God's word. So what responsibility? And yet, and yet the reality is, as James shows us here, is that you have a responsibility as well. It's not just the preacher's responsibility. And you sit there and say, you better make me enjoy it. You have a responsibility as well. Of course, you should pray. You should be praying regularly for Pat and others that preach the word throughout the week so that the Holy Spirit speaks to them during the preparation. And then you should pray on Saturday night, say, for example, for your own hearts to be prepared for worship. And then you should pray on Sunday morning that the Holy Spirit will come in power and illumine your minds and illumine the preacher's mind so that you hear the word of God. That's your responsibility. Pray for that. But each week you also have the responsibility to do the dance. You need to be quick, slow, slow, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Look at verse 19. Slow to anger, says the end of that verse. Now, when it comes to anger, there are two Greek words. One has to do with this violent outburst. You know, you're coming along and and somebody does something to you in your car. If you, (laughs) the roads are not as crowded here. At midnight in Coral Springs, it seems like there's a traffic jam. The president must come to town every evening because it's just crazy. And now you're stopping and, and then, and then we have snowbirds. They come and they need to make a left turn in the right lane and they just don't care. 
and it's over. And you can have this outburst of anger, right? I would never do that. <laughs> but you can have this outburst of anger, this, 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 this sudden rage of violence. That's one word for anger. Well, there's another word, the one that's used here. It's kind of a persistent kind of hostility. It's inner. It's an anger that's kept inside, that's kind of boiling up from within. An anger, really, that only you and God know about. Okay, so it's within you. And James is saying this. You must not allow yourself to have a disposition that is hostile to the word of God when it confronts your preconceived notions. When the word of God gets in your face, as it were, and it it confronts your view of life or, or salvation, right? We preach exclusive gospel. You've heard it said earlier. We, we preach that gospel only through Christ. It sounds so arrogant. People hear it and they're like, what right do you have? See, that's hostility towards the word of God. When it confronts you in that way, when it tells you that the lifestyle you're living is sinful, you shouldn't get angry and say, no, I want to live this way. The word of God is wrong. That's the idea that he's presenting here. See, you must not be like the, the Old Testament prophets. They preach the word and then... The audience, as it were, stones them because they don't want to hear the word. And so, James is warning us. He's warning, saying, angry spirit is never a listening, teachable spirit. It's never a teachable spirit. And so, James is asking you, how do you respond to the word of God when it confronts you? When it steps on your toes? When it gets in your face, as it were, and says, this is right and you are wrong. How do you respond to that? Do you have a teachable spirit? John Calvin, I'm sure his name has been mentioned here once or twice before. When he was converted, we don't know much about his conversion. It doesn't, there isn't much talk about it. But he does, uh, in some places, re- reference it. And he makes this quote. When he got saved, he says, God subdued. And brought my mind to a teachable frame. Now, John Calvin was brilliant. Trained as a lawyer. A brilliant mind. He could argue his way out of anything. And yet, when he got saved, all of a sudden, he realized that he was under the Word of God. That God subdued him and made his mind willing to be taught from the Word of God. Even from men less intelligent than him. And so, a person with a teachable frame, a person with a teachable spirit, a heart that is teachable, stops fighting against the Word of God. And then he submits to his Word. See, we we come under the Word of God. The preacher is not over the Word of God. Well, here's this Word. You can't make sense of it. Now let me give you the meaning. I don't teach that way. I don't come with my preconceived mindset of what it should teach and then read the Word. I come under the Word of God. At least I'm supposed to. I'm fallible. But I come under the Word of God and then lift it to the surface and say, this is what it says. And we must submit ourselves to that Word. And that is the goal here of quick to hear. We must be quick to hear. All right, second. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So you must hear the word and you must receive the word. And to do that, you must remove, this is where we talk about the the weeds, you must remove the weeds that choke all your growth. 
Therefore, this is what he says, put away all filthiness and wickedness. See, certain things need to be removed. They must be disposed of. The picture here is that of taking off these dirty, muddy clothes. Stripping yourself of those clothes so you can wear the proper clothing. James is saying this, if you wish to receive and benefit from the implanted word, you must get rid of the sin that the word of God reveals to you. That's the idea. All of the sin, he says. All filthiness. The idea is the whole dirty mess of wickedness. The whole dirty mass and mess of wickedness. All of it must go. It must get rid of it all. Remove it all, he's saying. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Over and over, he's telling you. This is why we need to persevere. It's difficult work. See, no sooner do you remove one weed, right? And another one grows up. And so when I was being diligent in the garden, I had to pick the one weed, but I couldn't wait another month to come back. I had to constantly come back to it and attack those weeds. And that's what he's saying about our sin. We need to go to work. We need to be diligent, removing one sin and then and then doing the work to remove the other sin until all the old habits are gone. All those old activities, they all must go. Sinful attitudes. This is what the Apostle Paul says about this. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. This is 2 Corinthians 5. The old has passed away. It's the old nature. Behold, the new has come. Now, in context, he'll tell us that we're to put off the old self, so it's not completely gone yet. In Ephesians 4, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and put on the new self. And so you see, put off and put on. And then Paul says in in, in Colossians, but now you must put them all away. Get rid of anger, wrath, malice, so on and so forth. And so you see that language of putting off and then putting on. All sin must be dealt with. You can't have your pet sin. You know, I don't commit the big three, whatever those big three are for you. But, you know, I I have this little sin. I just kind of hold on to it. I just thought of the the show my children watch of the um, Veggie Tales, the weed that grows. Everybody's staring at me like veggies. Um, anyway, the idea is that they let this weed grow and it grows and it grows and then eventually it consumes the person. It's that little sin can consume you. Don't be confident, well, I don't commit the big sins, whatever the big sins are. These small sins can consume you too. They have to all go. All sin must go. You must confess, repent, and eliminate every vestige and semblance of evil that corrupts your life And reduces your hunger for the word of God, says John MacArthur. Get rid of it all. And see, when that is done, MacArthur goes on to say, then you can truly receive the word of God. Now, he's not saying there's steps. Well, I would study the word, but Pastor Drew said I have to get rid of sin first, so I won't do that. So I can't receive. It's not steps. It just happens constantly. I remove a sin. I receive the word. It helps me grow. I reveals another sin. I remove that sin. It helps me grow so I can receive the word. It's constantly going on and so you're to receive the word how well, look at our passage how do you receive the word receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls you are to receive is the imperative here that's the idea it is the imperative it is the basic command of the whole passage everything else surrounds around that receive the word means to welcome into someone's home we just allowed i have four daughters and we have a a a spare bedroom, and we just invited somebody from my previous church, 10th, to come live with us. And we receive them. They're not my 
daughter, but they were received as part of the family. We welcomed her into our home. And so that's what, 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 what James is saying here. He's telling you, welcome the word of God into your life. Welcome the word. Luke uses the same word receive when he describes um, the Bereans. Right? Remember the Bereans, noble Bereans, receive the word with all readiness of mind. That's Acts 17. And Paul used it in the same way in Second Thessalonians. Receive the word of God. Welcome it into your life. Everything in your nature which would be a hindrance to seeing, hearing, and receiving the word must be done away with. And you must replace it with meekness, with humility, and receive the word. Or to use another analogy, you must cultivate your heart so it finds the proper soil to grow in. Okay, cultivate your heart. That's the imagery here. And he gets it from Matthew 13. James is, is referring to the parable of the soils. You may know the parable of Jesus, um, James' half-brother. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and so it didn't take root, right? And the birds came and took it away. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have enough soil. Um, it sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow, so that went away. And then the sun came up and scorched it, and it was gone. Some um, seed fell among thorns, Jesus said. And so there's the weeds that choked around uh, the seed. And still others fell on good soil. And so you have all those soils and people ask the question, well, which person is saved there? Here, here's the point. Be the good soil. Never settle for, well, I, I can get saved if I'm just the, the, the seed on rocky ground. So now I'm in. Now, the point of the parable as well as James is to be the good soil. Your heart must be prepared to receive the word. And so you must work at removing the sinful weeds that we know uh, from your life so that you can receive the word of God, that it finds good soil and it grows and produces spiritual fruit. And so with meekness, with humility, receive the word. Well, James gives us a motive here for that. Look at the passage, verse 21. It's able to save your soul. Now you're thinking, well, I've already been saved, so I can just kind of, you know, I don't have to listen to this part. This is for my, my, my friend that I invited. <laughs> it's not for me. You know, so it's only for the unsaved. No, no, that's not the case. When, when the word salvation is found in Scripture, understand that often, certain places, it means past salvation, right? I was saved at some point in time. Sometimes it's talking about your whole Christian life. And sometimes it's talking about the future. And that's what we have here. The past aspect has to do with the fact that God regenerated your heart. He saved you, declared you righteous. You've been justified by Christ. That's the past aspect. But there's also a present aspect that has to do with, with sanctification. That's what they, that God is, 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 is helping you grow in your salvation. You're maturing in your salvation. And then there's the future aspect, which someday we will have when we are glorified. And so this is how it works. You've been freed from the penalty of sin, right? You were standing in the courtroom of God and you were guilty. And he says, no condemnation because of Jesus Christ, because of his death, because of his resurrection, because of his perfect life. You've been freed from the penalty of sin. Now you're being freed from the power of sin over you. And then in the future, you'll be freed from the presence of sin. And so the penalty, the power, and the presence. 
And so you should welcome the word into your life with all humility so that you can be freed from the power of sin. And that someday through perseverance by the Holy Spirit, you will be freed from the presence of sin. And so James wants you to hear the word. He wants you to be attentive to it. He wants you to receive it, welcome it into your life. But hearing and receiving, it just ain't enough to use in New Jersey slang. You must also be a doer of the word. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, the word doer is favored in James. It's only used two other times in all the New Testament, but it's used four times in James's book. And we are to be doers. The word be is in the present imperative. We are to constantly be doers of the word. We're to keep on doing the word. That is the point. And he doesn't want us to be deceived. Do not be deceived by this. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And now he illustrates that for us. And this is how he illustrates it. Look at the passage. Verse 23 and 24 talk about a man who looks into a literal mirror. All right? And then in verse 25, he talks about a man who looks in the mirror of the word. And so this is the illustration. Now, the man with the literal mirror, right, he looks at his face, he sees his face, and then he goes away and forgets what he saw. But the man in the mirror of the word looks into it, but he perseveres and does something about what he sees. He acts. And you see the contrast. The contrast has to do with what you do with the information. They both look intently into the word. I mean, into the mirror. But the one man, he's looking in the mirror. He sees, you know, he has broccoli between his teeth. And he says, oh, that's nice. He puts the mirror down and he just walks away. He doesn't do anything about it. Nothing goes on. Nothing changes. He knows the truth, but nothing changes. And see, that's where the deception lies. See, the mirror is meant to reveal your blemishes so you can do something about them. And just to pick up the mirror, see the problem and walk away and do nothing is just not going far enough. You have to do more. You must do something with the information. And so James is saying you have a choice. Here's your choice. Verse 22. Verse 22. Either you can be deceived or you can be blessed. That's the option here. Deceived or blessed. And it all comes down to this. What do you do after hearing and receiving the word? You've heard it. You've received it. What do you do next? That's the difference between being deceived and being blessed. That's that makes all the difference. See, it's one thing to spend 20 minutes in your quiet time. And so you spend time in the word, you hear it, and you meditate on the word. James would say, well done, do that. He's not saying not to do that. He's saying do it, but you need to go beyond that and start obeying the word. And he's asking, will you take the next step? That's what James wants to know. See, James in his book, everybody loves the book of James. How many times I was asked to teach it or, or preach it. But James is a book that's constantly in your face, as I said. What are you doing with your life? How are you acting? Does your, does your life show what your faith really is? He's in your face, constantly saying, change, this is how you're supposed to be. And he, and he wants to know, are you going to obey the word? That is the question. He wants you to be delivered from the delusion that knowledge is enough. I know many people that will destroy me in a biblical contest of memorizing scripture and, and trivia. We all can learn the word of God. Did you ever hear a story about Bill Gates? 
Bill Gates denied the Bible when he was younger. He didn't believe in it, but he had to go to church. And so he'd sit in the back of his car on the way to church, in the back of the car, memorize everything he needed to memorize because he's just a brilliant man, obviously. And, and then when he'd get to the church, he would, he would win all the, the Bible contests. He could care less, though. He was able to store up that knowledge, but it meant nothing as far as, I don't know where he stands now, but I'm just saying then that was the point of the story, that he did nothing about it. So we must not be content with merely hearing or receiving. You must look. Look at that passage, verse 25. Look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now that word, look into, has the meaning of look intently. It's the same word used of John when the disciples stooped over the tomb and looked in and saw that it was empty. This wasn't a passing glance. I mean, they were mesmerized. The tomb is empty. And they're looking and they're stooping in. And that's the idea here. It's a soul-absorbing study of the Word. It's taking this Word and reading it and trying to understand it. Maybe using some commentaries. Maybe using the preaching of Pat. Others looking in the Word, absorbing the Word. Persevering in the Word. See, it goes beyond the five-minute quiet time or the one-minute devotions. Book sold, one-minute devotion. Maybe you use them. If that's what you're using, fine, but you have to add to it. That is the point. And see, a person like this saturates himself with the Word of God. Spurgeon referred to John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, as a man who bled Bible. I mean, he was so consumed with the Word of God, it just, it just poured out of him, as it were. And so, that's the kind of man James is calling us to be. We need to allow the Word of God to reflect back to us our hidden faults, to reveal to us our blemishes, and then take what we learn and do something about it. See, the mirror of the Word is perfect. It's the perfect law, James says. And so to gaze into it will reveal your imperfections. Why? Because when you look into the Word of God... What you see reflected back to you is a holy, perfect God. We sung about it, right? He is holy, 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 the thrice holy God. And we, we, we see that and say, we fall short. I cannot live up to that. And that is true. You see your blemishes. You see that you fall short. God is holy. He is transcendent. He's almighty. He's an awesome God. And He demands perfection. And so we come in and we encounter the Word of God. And, 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 and we see the Word of God and we realize how we fall short. We don't measure up at all. And so gazing into the Word can be a painful experience when you do it well. Because you just see one after another. I had a friend who studies Proverbs. You know, Proverbs, what's it contrast? The fool and the wise? And he said, whenever I read Proverbs, I said, oh, fool. <laughs> nope, fool again. You know, it confronts him. And, so, and James is calling us to allow us to have that painful experience, to reveal our sin, um, to re- realize that beliefs that we once held are no longer true because we've, we've compared them to the Word of God, and to let that stuff go. And see, even though it's painful, it is comforting when we come to the Word. Why? Because it's not just law. It's a law of liberty, we're told here. Law that gives freedom. See, law and liberty can go hand in hand because it not only includes the law, but includes grace, the Word of God. And so, it not only includes imperatives, right? The things you're to do. It includes what are called indicatives, the things that God has done for us. 
And the indicatives always come before the imperatives. Christ did this, therefore you go. God promised this, therefore you do. They always follow what God has done for us. And that's where the comfort comes. See, there's good news in the Word of God. It's not just law. The good news that Christ fulfilled the law on your behalf. There's good news that Jesus paid for all our sins on the cross. Do you you understand that message? The good news that He rose again, that we can be forgiven. That we can have forgiveness. This holy God... This almighty, transcendent God will forgive us of our sins through Jesus Christ and His cross. He rose again so that we can be justified. The good news that we don't measure up, but Jesus did. That Jesus measured up. And so we can be declared righteous because He was righteous. And He gives us that righteousness. See, that's the message of the Word. And once we embrace that message, then we can go and be doers of the Word in confidence that we're accepted by God. See, the Word of God can make, uh, can affect, that is, change in your life. It's not just external. It changes you from the inside out. And then because you've been born again, because that, because that seed has been planted in you, it can, now the Word of God comes to you through the preaching of the Word. It penetrates your heart and, and, and meets with that Word that's implanted in your heart, as it were, and it affects change. It changes you from the inside out. That is why we don't preach moralism I don't know if Pat brings it up. I'm sure he does because I know he knows this. We don't preach a moralism. Well, I want you to all go and be better now. Just go. You hear what James says. Just do it. And God will be happy with you. No. We preach the gospel. That we can't be moral. And therefore Christ came in our place. It's not moralism. It's kind of gospel-driven obedience. That's what D.A. Carson calls it. It's a gospel-driven life, Michael Horton's book. It's gospel-driven. It's only out of the grace of God in my heart that I can live the Christian life. See, the law is a law of liberty because Christ enables us to live the way we were created to live. That is the message. See, Christ's law sets us free inwardly and outwardly to live as we ought. And a person who will only be blessed when he is living as his creator created him to live. Consistently conforming to the will of God. Now, we'll never be perfect this side of heaven. But see, when we're in heaven, that's when we'll experience the fruit of our labors. And the new heavens and the new earth when sin is gone forever. See, Christ is the perfect man. He's the only one that looks into the mirror of the word. And he says, I'm perfect. We look into it and say, I'm blemished. I'm a sinner. He looks into it and says, I'm perfect. And I'm perfect on their behalf. Because I love them. Because I came to die for them. Because I rose again for them. I lived for them. And so we should never stop short of hearing. Beloved, we should never be content with looking into the mirror of the word until we see staring back at us Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished. That is the goal, until you are conformed perfectly into the image of Christ, which is eternity. And so keep on keeping on in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me close by summarizing what James has said about the Word. Think about these things. This is the Word of God for you. It's a seed which implants life. It's a mirror that shows you who you truly are. It's the perfect law, the law of liberty. 
And because it has that power within it to create anew, it sanctifies you and preserves you until Christ returns. See, it provides true freedom. That's what the word does. Liberation from the guilt and dominion of sin. And see, it has this power, beloved, because it contains a message which we know is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, says Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. See, to us who are called, it is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. See, when you hear the word of God, you're hearing Christ speak. When you receive the word of God, you're receiving Christ, as it were. And when you obey the word, you are obeying Jesus. And so that should compel us in the power of his Holy Spirit to hear, receive, and obey your Lord and Master. As he speaks to you week in and week out, day in and day out through his word, receive that word. Obey that word and glorify your Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, we hear these words and we're reminded that we're not perfect. That we fall short, that we are sinners, that often your word says do this and we do something different. And so first we come thanking you for our Savior, our perfect Savior. Jesus Christ, who lived, who died and rose again on our behalf. And we ask, Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the implanted word, as we hear the word taught and preached regularly, that you would change us from the inside out, conform us more and more into the image of your Son until that day when he returns to take us home to be with him forever. May our lives reflect Christ to the world. We pray in his name. Amen.